Welcome to Sparking Action. This is a podcast that showcases ordinary people creating extraordinary lives through the power of inspired action. My name is Vera Ilnitsky, a marketer, life coach, and passionate advocate for healthy and active living. In Sparking Action, I have informative and inspiring conversations with people who have taken and are taking bold action to change their life, reach amazing goals, make a positive impact on the world, and create success on their own terms. My intent is to create a supportive space that inspires, informs, and motivates, because I truly believe that learning from others can spark our own inspired action to create positive change, reach our goals, and gain momentum for better living. I learned about today's guest on LinkedIn through a blog series he wrote about pivoting from oil and gas to the tech industry during a pandemic, no less. Kieran Samanchi received four job offers and landed what he calls his dream job. I was so curious to learn about how he achieved this. And in today's conversation, Kieran talks about being courageous, having discipline and focus as bedrocks of his life, and the idea of lifestyle design. He even managed to sneak in a few questions for me. Please enjoy this episode. Hi, Kieran. Welcome to Sparking Action. Hi, Vera. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. So you lost your job in June of 2020, which was right in the middle of the pandemic. And you managed to get your dream job, as you call it. And you managed to do that by interviewing with 15 companies and landing four job offers, which is absolutely fantastic. And I'd love to hear your story about how you achieved that. Yeah, um, sure. Um, so I'll, I'll give you a, a quick sort of history on, on the genesis behind the pivot. So I'd finished my MBA uh, around 2019 and um, took, a, oh, sorry, 2018. And I took a year off to sort of recuperate from that, you know, relatively stressful uh, journey. I was working full time while going to school. So I was putting in 60 hour weeks. I was like, you know what, I'll take a break. I know I'm looking for a change and I'll, um, you know, uh, I'll recuperate and then start looking. And then 2020 came around. I was uh, I was looking relatively actively, and uh, and 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 COVID hit, and I got laid off, and it came as a blessing in disguise because now I sort of had the time to really explore different options and um, go give it my hundred percent. Prior to getting laid off, I was already looking at a couple of different options. Like I, you know, thought about investment banking, but I was too old and uh, not willing to put in the ADR weeks to go into banking. Uh, management consulting was another option. Tech was certainly um, an option as well. And when I say tech, I specifically mean high tech, not necessarily clean tech. Uh, and, and you know, I, I, I sort of, I was fortunate enough uh, through the Haskins School of Business. I got access to a lot of uh, career coaching, and a lot of the career co- coaching, you know, sort of focuses on you know, uh, identify your value system. Like, what are you looking at for in an industry or a job? And you know, you list out maybe five or six different attributes. And then you sort of give them a score and, and come up with sort of a relative ranking scale to, to see which one sort of jumps out, right? And, and so as, as, an, as, a, as a former engineer, um, you know, that really appeals to me, that sort of structured way of approaching a job search. I think uh, there's people who are a lot more intuitive. I think they sort of know what they want to do, which, which is fine. But I think this sort of structured approach can maybe provide a little bit more evidence to your, to your gut feel, right? So I'm, I'm always a big fan of sort of putting things down on paper and really... Um, assigning scores to them. It's a very MBA thing to do. Through that process, I think I, I sort of narrowed it down to management consulting and, and, and tech. And, you know, 
you know, gave consulting my fair shot. It's, it's a relatively difficult industry to break into. The interview process is, is tough. I actually got selected for, um, uh, for an interview with a top tier firm, uh, prepared for it for two months, knowing full well I was, wasn't probably going to get it. The, the acceptance rate is about a percent, uh, but I wanted to give it my 100% just because it was a fairly prestigious firm. Uh, didn't make it. And I was like, at that point, I'm like, okay, this is cool. I gave it my 100%. Let's look at something else. You know, started sort of focusing on tech full time. And uh, I had enough uh, sort of um, skill set from the oil patch I'd built up that was easily transferable and was able to make that pivot relatively quickly. Uh, you know, but behind the scenes, I was also putting a lot of effort around networking, around cleaning up my resume, making it, making my experience incredibly um, relevant. Uh, to the to the tech employers, and then I, I've always been relatively good at interviewing, so just started polishing up that skill as well. So so and and through that process, I realized that a lot of the advice uh, job seekers and pivoters get is ultimately not very good. You know, it's very broad. It's not uh, at all. It talks about the what to do. It doesn't talk about the how to do it. And that was really the genesis behind my blog post. It's like, hey, man, I've had a lot of support over the last six months from you know coaches who've helped me out in, in having this transition happen. I want to share that knowledge with others who are in a similar boat but may not have access to the same resources that I had. Right? And to sort of showcase that, hey, when someone says it's, you know, you have to network your way into a, a new industry, this is exactly what it means. Like these are the five steps you need to take to, to network your way on, or this is how your resume should look like, right? And that kind of information just either doesn't exist or um, it's, it's, it's hard to come by. The blog series was my way of sort of paying it back or paying it forward rather. You also mentioned something about values in terms of the job, but what about your own personal values? How did you align those two things? That's a great question. And I don't know if I have fully. I think it's, it's a lifelong journey. And I, I don't think aiming for perfection is the goal. It takes a lot of introspection, to be honest, right? And it also takes a little bit of experience and seasoning to know who you are as a person to start to be able to articulate that, right? Uh, and and so, you know, for the first 10 years of my career, I sort of, I would argue I floated, you know, sort of floated through. I was at one company and, and that was great. But I think as I moved to other companies, I was like, man, I got to think uh, really hard about what my personal values are and, um, and, uh, and, and what the company's value systems are. And align them as much as I can. I think I think that's a key thing when it comes to finding your next industry or next employer. You know, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect company, but there's a perfect company for you. My value systems were around innovation, fast moving, openness to new ideas, being flexible, you know, being progressive, and um, and tech. Pretty much every other industry than oil and gas was sort of you know, uh, that I was looking at was more in, in tune with those uh, sort of five attributes that I mentioned, right? But it, it took me a while to come up with that. It, you know, it was about going back to school, you know, taking time to understand what I wanted to be in my, as a, as a, in my professional career. I knew I didn't want to be an engineer anymore. I knew I wanted to move into more of a management type role, whether informal or formal. Uh, I knew I wanted to be um, in, in a place that was uh, more progressive when it came to HR policies or work life, uh, or sorry, um, hybrid uh, work environment, stuff like that. And so I was able to just articulate them over time. And, you know, I think those are, are attributes and values that evolve over time as well, right? When I was younger, I was all about, uh, you know, making money, gaining as much experience and skill sets as I can. 
And as I've, I've gotten older, it's more, it's evolved into something else. So it's, it's been a journey for sure. And, and I dare say, uh, you know, and I dare say women tend to be a little better at it than men. Why is that? Do you think? I, another great question. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, I'm making pretty broad statements here. My suspicion is that men aren't socialized to be introspective. Uh, I suspect men are socialized to be, you know, go out, get a job, provide for your family. Don't talk about your feelings and, uh, you know, sort of put up and shut up, you know, and I think that's evolving. Uh, millennials like myself, I think are becoming are sort of challenging those norms. And I think we're encouraging our own peers to challenge the norms a little bit. Uh, and I think in men in general, don't, uh, once again, are not socialized to talk about their private thoughts. Like even with my own friends, most of them who are engineers, a lot of times we talk about a lot of surface level shit. Um, it's, it isn't really meaningful conversation, even though I might have known someone for 10 years, 20 years, and I know a lot of personal details about them. I don't necessarily understand sort of what's going on uh, emotionally in their heads, right? And, and that could once again be a combination of being male and an engineer, sort of a deadly combination for not talking about your feelings, right? <laughs> Um, and I've been a bit fortunate that way. I'm an introvert. I've always been very introspective. I love going on vacations uh, and sort of uh, planning my life out, you know, three, five years at a time. I've done a fair amount of lifestyle design um, and I'm becoming better and better at it as I get older. Or at least I don't know if I'm getting better at it, but at least I'm becoming more aware of it. Mm. Uh, how else do you think that you can challenge those norms and how are you doing it right now? Yeah, another really great question. It's something I've struggled with uh, because I I think part of it is I tend to be very open to that, to to having those discussions. So I think it's about courage. Uh, it's about you know saying to your friends, "Hey, man, uh, you know I love grabbing a beer and, and talking, you know, talking shop or talking shit with you guys, but you know let's let's have real talk here. Let's talk about you know how you've evolved as a man." You know, how you've gone from like a single person to someone who's married to now who's a dad and a working professional, right? Like, I don't have those kinds of conversations with my friends. Like, I'm a, I just got married recently, don't have kids yet, but a lot of my friends are married with kids and, you know, for the last five, seven years. But we never talk about how their uh, role and how their uh, personality and day to day life has changed because of kids, right? So I think it's, it's, I'm pushing my friends a little bit. Uh, you know, being courageous, putting myself out there and saying, hey, let's have a convo about this because it's important stuff. And and B, I'm, I'm lazy. I don't want to figure these things out. You guys tell me how much of a challenge it's been. Uh, so I don't, that way I don't have to read a book to figure this stuff out. I just have like no tribal knowledge coming my way. Right? And I'll, I'd like to buy your uh, uh, crib for like half price rather than take full price on the market because I heard, I heard those things are expensive. How's that so, going for you? Like when you start those conversations, are are other men really open to sharing their experiences? Um, I think um, I think it's a journey. I think it's a journey. I think you have to sort of you know broach that topic and uh, sort of get people comfortable. And admittedly, you know, this is something I'm I'm just starting my journey on. It's not like I'm an expert. As I said, I've been relatively introspective, so I, I, um, all of it's going on in my head, and I'm trying to now encourage my, you know, one really good friend to start doing that as well, right? And, you know, and I think it's interesting too. Like uh, a lot of my friends in their mid 30s are now going, for, like all males, like are going for therapy. Like a lot of them have 
struggled with anxiety or some sort of, um, you know, maybe they've burnt out some sort of uh, one mental health issue or not. Right. And I think uh, there's greater recognition that asking for help is, 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 is not shameful. Uh, mental health is not, uh, you know, does not equate to shame. Right. And there's a lot of shame around mental health when it comes to men and myself included. I think if it wasn't for my wife, I probably would have not sought help either. So I, I think it's sort of a sign of the times. Everybody's hitting mid thirties, and I think I think all men are sort of getting comfortable. And it's just you know you need some someone like me who has a little bit of courage and say, hey, let's let's talk about this stuff. It's not you know, it's not uh, there's no shame associated with it. We're all good friends. Back to your journey through finding your dream job or finding a new job and pivoting out of oil and gas. What was the biggest thing that you've learned on that journey? Persistence matters a lot. <laughs> Persistence. I'm, I'm, I'm not a smart guy, but I'm very persistent. You know, I've, uh, yeah, I've always said that a lot of my friends, you know, they're all sort of Dean's listers, like 4.0 GPA kind of engineers. And I, you know, I was never that kind of guy. I was a B plus student at best in, in school. But the one thing I had more than them was persistence and drive and ambition. Uh, and I think that's the, that's the key differentiator. You got to have the drive. I was putting in like 40 hour weeks when I was looking for a job, right? Not because I had some, not out of some morbid sense of self-flagellation or anything. I just wanted, you know, I just have that kind of drive, I have the horsepower and um, I, I didn't need a break. So that drive and that persistence and that ambition, you know, does, does is, is the key differentiator in my, in my experience. And the point I'm trying to make is in addition to drive and persistence, you also need discipline and focus. Right. So for me, that discipline and focus is, uh, was also that sort of a key differentiating factor in that I can sit, uh, eight hours a day focused on this. Yeah. Was I tired? Sure. I was, I burnt out. Sure. You know, but I was able to push myself through that. Right. Um, yeah. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. I was not happy a lot of times, uh, but you know, I, I, I knew there was a light at the end of the tunnel and the more effort I put in the the quicker I would get to the light. So yeah. So drive persistence and, and discipline are probably the three big things. The other thing that you mentioned is having a purpose and really knowing what your North star, as you call it is, how important was that to you in your career transition Yeah, and in, your, and in life in general? Yeah. You know, I've never had a North star before because I'd never been married before. And I think, uh, having been married and knowing that I wanted to start a family was certainly, uh, certainly, um, helpful. Like would I have still put in the same amount of time, like probably, but having a North Star almost made it, like you said, gave it more purpose, gave it more meaning. It wasn't just about getting a job. It was about getting a job so I could move on with my life and start a family and do the things I wanted to do, right? So it was, it was, it was not about just putting, uh, getting another paycheck. So I think it helped sort of make the process a little bit more, maybe not fun, but at least a little bit more meaning. I had a little bit more meaning and that meaning brought with it uh, more sense of, uh, sense of, joy or sense of uh, being connected to something greater. So that was super helpful for sure. Yeah. And you use the word joy. I found that on, in one of your blogs, you use the word joy. And I'm just curious what joy means to you. I, I think joy to me has always been around being content, you know, being happy, being satisfied with what, what, what you have. Right. And it, it's funny. I say that because I think for a long time, I wasn't that guy. I've always, and that's almost uh, in some ways a secret to my success is like, I've always not been happy with my accomplishments and what I do. And and that sort of has constant that sort of constant state of dissatisfaction would push me to even greater heights because I want to do more and more and more to fill that hole, right? And then I think 
you know, I think I realized a couple of years ago, I'd never be able to fill that hole. Like, it's, you know, I'd, I'd set the bar here, I'd meet it and the bar would get raised and I would always constantly raise the bar. Um, so I think I've focused a lot more on being just happy and, and joyful and content with my life. And I think that's what joy is, putting more time into hobbies. Uh, but then also being kinder to yourself, like recognizing what your strengths are, building your own sort of emotional um, self-esteem. Sorry. I guess building up your own self-esteem internally, I think, you know, sort of watching that negative self-talk, you know, all of those sound simple, but incredibly, incredibly difficult to do. Like to watch negative self-talk, it's it's like taking me two plus years to sort of get to a state where I can observe it, you know, maybe half the time, right? And do something about it. And I think that's been a key one for me. So just watch that, uh, you know, just be, maybe it'll be a little kinder to myself and realize that, you know, I'm... Uh, have skills and um, there's positive things about me and that I don't have to sort of fill the hole in my soul through accomplishments. So I think that's what, anyway, a very long winded answer to saying that joy, I think is just about being satisfied and happy with yourself. Yeah. How have I, you gotten to that place of self-awareness? Like you talk about self-awareness and listening to your negative thoughts and stopping them and being introspective. Like, how do you do that? Do you have a practice? Do you have a daily routine that you follow or what do you do? Yeah. To be honest, just a lot of very expensive therapy. <laughs> That's fair. You know, and being a little facetious here, uh, I've always been into meditation. I've been a long time meditator. I think I've been meditating since 2013 or 14, I think. I've been to like these 10-day uh, meditation courses where all you do is eat shit and meditate for like 10 hours a day, right? Incredibly challenging, but incredibly rewarding. So I think I've always been a relatively introspective person. The meditation sort of added to that uh, toolbox. And then on top of that, you know, once you go for therapy and, and um, have these, you know, very honest conversations with professionals, I think they're able to point out um, these, these negative self uh, the, the, sort of the patterns that are going on in your head. And I think uh, meditation, I think often is, um, uh, you know, thrown around as a panacea to uh, a lot of your mental health issues. But, you know, meditation in itself is not enough. You have to meditate, go for therapy, maybe take meds, depending on where you are, right? Oh, how severe your mental health issues are. But I think a combination of, to be honest, a combination of meditation and as an expensive therapy. Always, always helpful. And, you know, once again, it comes down to, uh, it comes down to uh, focus and discipline, right? I'm, I'm the kind of guy, no matter what it is, I will always give it my hundred percent. So if it's something around improving my self-talk, I will go all out to improving my self-talk. That's just the kind of personality I have. So once again, so discipline and focus, I think are probably the bedrock uh, to anything, hmm. right? How about you? What, what's worked for you, Vera? Yeah. I mean, I think definitely being still and quiet has been very helpful. Exercise is a big one for me and getting, you know, some of, you know, whether it's frustration or whether it's just getting the day out, I think exercise is very, very helpful in um, getting outside, being in nature, talking to people, um, you know, reading personal development books or listening to an inspiring podcast, you know, all those things. And I think you need kind of an an arsenal of things. Like you said, it can't just be one thing and can't just be meditation. Um, and maybe sometimes, yes, you know, we need to go to therapy or get professional advice. So yeah, I think there's kind of a lot of different things that, that you need to do, but definitely the, the self-awareness is key and, and knowing kind of when to feel 
negative thoughts as well, like knowing when to feel sad and being okay with that or, or having a day where maybe you feel a little bit down, but then knowing how to pull yourself up. And so that was going to be my next question to you is when you do have a bit of a down day, you know, what do you do to get out of that maybe negative spiral or that negative self-talk? Do you have something that you do that helps you get back on track to that discipline and that focus? Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a tool that, um, that a lot of psychologists use called a thought record. Hmm. Uh, and it's a, a really uh, very difficult but very powerful way of uh, sort of challenging that self-talk. It's basically you start with sort of the situation um, that that triggered, you know, your stress or your anxiety or depression, whatever it is, right? Um, and then you uh, talk about the emotion that's being generated because of that situation and then um, talk about sort of the core thoughts in your head. And then, um, and then you sort of provide evidence to challenge that uh, core thought. So maybe the core thought is you're feeling unworthy. Maybe the core thought is you're feeling, um, uh, to be honest, that's that's one of the big ones, uh, you know. And then you provide sort of evidence to yourself on why that core thought is not true. And then you provide like a balanced um, uh, narrative to yourself in your head, right? And I think sort of going through that that process, challenging that irrational thought in a very structured, rational way. I think often reduces that negative um, self-talk and sort of uh, calms me down. Um, so that's one that I've used uh, or used quite regularly, uh, and um, and with with practice, you know, just becomes sort of automatic and second nature. But it takes a while to get there. Um, the other one is every night. I think um, anyway, Monday to Friday, I'll write down three positive things about myself. And, um, and I'll also write three things I'm grateful about. So a lot of people do write down three great things they're grateful about, but I take it to the next level because I think that, um, and I talk about three positive things about myself because I find a lot of my negative talk often tends to be around how I'm not good enough. And so by forcing yourself to list three things that you're good at or positive attributes about yourself, it challenges that negative self-talk, right? So, uh, but, but then I also try to meditate every morning, you know, try to exercise, uh, you know, try to go out to nature. And I was going to, you know, make a fairly controversial statement there as you're talking about that, because I'm like, everybody bandies around sleep, exercise, you know, food as, as, you know, key pillars to good mental health. And I don't disagree, but sometimes I wonder if they're just band-aids, you know, you can have great self, you know, you could have great sleep and have great exercise, but you could still be, have some sort of, you know, serious uh, negative self-talk. I, I don't think those are enough is, is my point. I don't know if you agree with that. Feel free to disagree. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting question. I, I guess my question back to you is why don't you think people feel good enough? I hear that a lot and I know I myself feel that quite often. And you've mentioned that a few times in our conversation. So why do you think that is like, why are people feeling so not good enough? Yeah. yeah great question, Vera. I think this is clearly a gift you have of asking awesome questions. I, I don't know if I can answer that um, at a general level. I can certainly answer it at my level. I, I suspect it's because as a society, we haven't taught our parents uh, weren't taught and their parents weren't taught on how to build up self-esteem. I think that's the key, right? I think, I think that negative self-talk, the, the lack of, you know, worthiness, I think is, is, um, is something that I think, I'm sure my parents went through too. I'm sure they didn't feel good about themselves, but their parents didn't teach them on how to build up that positive self-image uh, in, uh, mentally, right? So I think that's a big, big key issue is that I think as a, a society, we are becoming more self-aware that this is sort of 
building up healthy children with healthy self-esteem is like a key challenge on um in terms of uh reducing that uh negative self-talk being you know practicing empathy towards yourself and uh, feeling good good about yourself right uh, but i've always maintained uh and this is also going to be a very controversial statement but i've also maintained that unhappy people often produce the greatest results hmm. you know if you think about it right if you have a giant hole in your soul you're they going to go to drugs you know sex uh alcohol or accomplishments right and maybe you're one of the lucky few who who gravitate towards accomplishments as a as a way to sort of feel good about yourself and what's wrong with that you know you're accomplishing great things maybe maybe because of the hole in your soul you 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 know maybe you don't you know because you feel so worthless you push yourself hard and you know come up with this new invention that's going to change the world is that necessarily a bad thing you know and and so I've always had that sort of uh, I guess alternative perspective on uh, on on self worth. I think I think people who don't feel good about themselves often accomplish the greatest things. But and obviously there's a lot of room for uh, burnout. Uh, and it, you know you probably pass that on to your kids, and they have their own set of issues. Right. And I think that was the other north star I had. I was like, man, I don't want to have kids and then pass on the same sort of issues of worthiness I have to my kids. Like, I don't want to do that. And I think that was sort of a, a key realization, I think in my mid thirties that I have started to, uh, <clears throat> started to attack as well. Like I got to be a better human, be- better to myself. So I can pass on these good skills, uh, positive skills to, to my own kids and and make sure they don't have the issues that I do. But yeah, I think that's it, man. I think we just as a generation as a people have not been taught how to, how to, build positive self-esteem in ourselves and our kids and we're paying for it now Hmm. what do you think what have you learned from your conversations on why this has become a bit of an epidemic right now yeah that's interesting i think some of it is social media i think we see what we think is perfection Mm. out there and it may or may not be real I think it's, it goes back to something that you said before around joyfulness and contentment and being happy. And I think a lot of times we are striving for that next thing. And like you said, when you get there, then you raise the bar again and you raise the bar again. So you're continuously not happy versus just saying, you know what, I'm content with where I am right now. I can choose to be happy right now. I can choose to be joyful right now and find the joy in my day-to-day life and in the small things and being more in the moment and present about that versus always thinking about the next thing. And I think a lot of times we think like, we'll be happy when we make the money. We'll be happy when I meet the person of my dreams. I'll be happy when I pivot and able to find this dream job of mine. And I think you and I both know that that's not the case. When you get there and you're not happy to begin with, you're not going to be happy when you get there either. So I think that's part of it. It's just that we're always striving and we have these unrealistic expectations. So I think maybe that's a little bit of it. And that's a great point. I, I tend to agree. I think there's a lot of research uh, that's been published to that end as well. I think Sean Aker is one of the leading authorities on happiness, right? Mm-hmm. And he his research shows that happy people actually tend to tend to get more promotions, tend to get higher salaries. And um, and and tend to generally, you know, be more successful. However, you choose that success. However, you define that success, right? right? And I think you're right. I think the the script we've been taught is that 
hey, you get that you know next promotion or you get that next job, then you'll become happy. And I think that's a false narrative that I think I hope people are waking up to and realizing that it's not true. And and you know, I've fallen into that trap. I still continue to fall into that trap, but at least I'm more aware of it now and maybe try to catch it a little earlier, right? Mm-hmm. How do you think COVID has changed that perception from people? Like, do you think the COVID situation has changed how people think about success, quote unquote, and happiness? I would say my definition of happiness now is not having to go into work every day, right? It's the office you mean, like you're still working, but not, you're not physically physically. going into an office. Mm -hmm. That's correct. Yeah. So I'm more than happy to do a hybrid work environment. I enjoy going into work. I do enjoy putting the FaceTime, but I've also come to the realization that I'm actually a lot more effective working from home with no distractions. Uh, and that's my sort of happiness right now. And I, I wouldn't personally want to work for a company that's forcing people to, to physically go to work uh, post-COVID, right? Because we'll, we'll, we'll get out of this. So I think, I think a lot of people are realizing that you don't actually need to go into work to be effective, especially if you're on a white-collar um, professional type of a role. Um, and obviously, if you have kids and stuff, then maybe you know, going to the office is the right approach for you. Uh, that's fine. So I think that's a big one for me right now is, um, is sort of that remote hybrid work environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that's a big one for me. I don't know. I, I haven't really thought about it that much because obviously, you know, COVID is a more of a transient thing. I don't think it'll last forever. And I think it's tough to gauge what some of the, my feeling is a lot of more traditional industries will just go back to um, being at work full time, but that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's another, that's another story. Yeah. Yeah. Have you noticed anything that uh, that uh, has changed people's definition of happiness during COVID? The conversations I'm having are around the fact that people are reflecting a lot more about what's important to them. Mm. So, you know, kind of pre-COVID, everyone was like running around, trying to get out of the house on time, driving, commuting, going into the office. Not that that's a bad thing, but there wasn't really time to like sit and think. And I think a lot of people now are realizing, you know what, like I could get laid off or maybe I was laid off because of COVID. Like what's really important to me. And and maybe I don't even like my job to begin with. So why am I there? So those are the types of things I'm hearing that people are taking some time to reflect and be a bit introspective to use your word about what it is that's important. And then maybe shifting a little bit about what they do with that. Like maybe it is having more connections with people. Maybe it is around spending more time with their children, making dinner and not having the commute allows a lot of people to be able to do that. I've heard people that are eating healthier and exercising more because they have the time to do that. And they can do it in the middle of the day at lunchtime or, you know, when they have half an hour, an hour in between meetings and stuff. So I think a lot of people are kind of redefining how that work life balance, so to speak, looks to them. So that those are the types of things I'm hearing, which I think is really good. Hopefully people maintain that as we move forward and out of this pandemic, because I agree people will start going back to day to day and going back to the office. And hopefully that sort of busyness will not get to that point where people are feeling burnt out or feeling that they're not focused on what's important to them. So yeah, I totally know what you mean. I think, I think uh, what you talking about is lifestyle design right i think that's mm-hmm. the key key sort of buzzword there uh, I, I, and you're saying like people have the time now to think about what kind of lifestyle they want to design for them themselves and i and i guess that's why maybe i struggled to answer that question because i've always been relatively good at that um you know every sort of phase of my life or every chapter of my life i've decided you know this is how i'm going to design my lifestyle and i've been very successful at attaining that 
So COVID necessarily hasn't triggered that because I'm, you know, always in that process anyway, right? Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I know, and that that sort of triggered a, um, another interesting comment I was going to make. I think one of the reasons why people sort of maybe struggle in this um, sort of new era, so to speak, is because I think we've always been, or maybe people have sort of, you know, feelings of, you know, worthlessness or all these sort of social isolation issues. I think it's because we've been given a script from boomers, right? The script was go to school, you know, get an education, uh, graduate, you know, get a good job, preferably in STEM, you know, make, make some, uh, make a healthy salary, get a job, get married by 25, 27, pump out a couple of kids and then work for the next 30 years. And then, you know, uh, you, Nirvana will await you in, in retirement, right? And, you know, and, and that script worked great post-World War for like maybe a few decades. It just doesn't work anymore, man. It just doesn't. You know, there's too many options. It's too many choices. Uh, you can do pretty much whatever you want um, and, and be relatively successful at it. And I think, once again, as a generation, we have not been taught on how to design your life, right? We have not been taught what's important. Right? Back in the day, like the church would tell you what to do. You go to church every Sunday, whatever your, you know, or temple, whatever your religion is, and they'll tell you how to think, what to do, right? Your society, your parents will tell you how to think. What, you know, you didn't have the internet where you can like type in a couple of keywords and the whole in- information highway is available to you, right? With all these different thoughts, different ways of thinking, different perspectives. And I think as I'm growing older, I've realized for me, uh, what the five things that are important are obviously work, you know, family, uh, volunteer activity, uh, sense of community and friends, right? And I think this is how I organize my time during the week. Like if you have a hundred hours a week, you know, draw a pie chart for yourself and, you know, 40 hours gone for work right there, 40, 50 hours, right? Have the time gone. In the other 50 hours, what are you going to do? Maybe you want to spend 30% of your time with your kids, another 10, 20% with your wife uh, or, or husband. And what are you going to do in the remaining 10, 20%, right? And I think that's that, that kind of structure has not been taught to people, right? And I think maybe COVID has brought about, as you said, that made that time available where people can think about that more now. And um, and sort of design the the, the lifestyle they, they need to to be happy. I think I think one of the consistent things I see in my friends anyway is all all of them all they do is go to work, you know, or remotely or physically, you know, spend time with their kids, watch some TV, hang out with their wife, and then go to bed. That's all they do. They don't think about community. They don't think about volunteer work. They don't think about their impact to society and what their meaning what the meaning of their life is. Right. Um, and I think that's a and that's because they've never been taught to think that way. You know, that's that's a once again a gift from our boomer parents. What I'm hearing you say too is that we have control over how we design our life and what we do. And I think a lot of people are realizing that that's true. Yeah, I think you know, certainly authors like Tim Ferriss have done a great job of sort of uh, providing people a template and a script for how to do that with the, his four-hour workweek uh, book. Uh, you know, I've, I think I have issues with the. With some of his content but at the at the end of the day i agree with his overall philosophy is like you don't have to follow that script your parents have provided for you you can change it and there's this is the best time in human history to be able to do some of that lifestyle design the other one is called life launch uh, that's one word i don't know if you've heard of it it's a sort of hokey title I, I got put on put onto that book by one of my um leadership coaches a phenomenal book i think it's some of the concepts that i've talked about today are from that book directly especially the, the the concept about, you know, us being given a script in life that comes direct from that book. So I highly recommend reading that. Very easy read. And it's a very practical, hands-on book. It's actually a lot of, it's not difficult to get through, 
but they ask you a lot of questions that take a lot of time, a lot of introspection. So it's a great book if you're going on a vacation where you have like three weeks to kill on a beach somewhere, just take this book and just, you know, a couple of hours a day sort of answer some of these questions. And I think I find that kind of intellectual work incredibly soothing um, and uh, highly recommend it. So this podcast is called Sparking Action. And I'm wondering what advice you have for people to help them create a spark of action in their own life. Yeah, I think sparking action often requires a lot of courage. I think courage is the first step, right? I I think courage to put yourself out there uh, and uh, fail uh, in having that vulnerability to to, to fail and accept that failure. That's a big one. I I would say that's been one of my biggest reasons for being able to accomplish all the things I have done in, in, in my personal and professional lives. I've always taken the first step. I've always been afraid of failure, but I've pushed past it. And because for some reason or the other that I don't fully understand of an abundance of, of courage, right? Um, you know, and there are people who are even more courageous than me, uh, right? And I, I would never do things they would. I'm like, oh my God, I don't know how these guys do it. But, you know, you have to have some courage for sure. That's the big one. If you want to spark any sort of an action or change, being able to take that first step, right? Or, of many. Yeah. And do you find like once you take that first step, does the second step become easier? Yeah. And <clears throat> that's exactly it. I, I think, you know, when you look at a, you know, that's that there's that old, I think, ancient Chinese proverb, right? Like a journey of a thousand s- steps starts with, with one. And that's totally true. Um, and I think whenever I've been, been overwhelmed, I've I realized that it's because I'm looking at a thousand steps rather than the two or three steps I need to take right now. So to do any of those things, to make an impact, to push us, you know, to pivot, to be comfortable with being, with the, to be comfortable with discomfort, all of that at the end of the day requires courage and, and the vulnerability to, to, you know, uh, be okay with failure. And, and once again, that, that's not a new concept. That's I'm borrowing pretty heavily from Brené Brown here, right? That's been a relatively influential book in my um, in my sort of toolkit as well. And once again, a big challenge for men. Like uh, I struggle with vulnerability. I dare say I'm better at it than most men, but I still struggle with it. Yeah. Well, you've been pretty open and, and honest in this conversation. So I really appreciate that because I, I think it takes courage to talk about our personal lives and what we've gone through. So I appreciate that and acknowledge you for that. Well, thank you very much, Vera. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. And, and thank you once again for having me. Well, thank you. I want to acknowledge you for, like I said, your vulnerability and your openness and for your millennial perspective on things and your male perspective on things. And um, I wish you all the best in your new job. And I know that we're going to stay in touch and keep going. I know you're launching a podcast soon as well. So I look forward to hearing that. And I really, really appreciate this conversation. I loved what we talked about and I look forward to getting to know you more as well and seeing where you end up on this journey. Yeah, likewise, Vera, you have a gift for asking very thought-provoking uh, and deep questions. So I've really enjoyed the, the conversation. Uh, people often don't get the chance to uh, think about this deeply and reflect on their journey so far. So it's been, I, you know, thank you for, for giving me the time to, to do that. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. If you did, please share with someone who you think might enjoy hearing it. And if you have an idea for a future guest on Sparking Action, please connect with me. Also, I'd love to hear your feedback, comments, and suggestions for the podcast. I look forward to connecting.